Hey guys, welcome to the newest episode of the SaaS Sessions podcast. This is a slightly different episode. It was recorded with the guest where uh, we had like live attendees on the Zoom call while I was recording and during the end the attendees get to ask a question to the guest live. Isn't it cool? Uh, so we are going to keep doing these uh, AMA sessions, uh, live AMA sessions with amazing guests in the industry. So let me know if you want to join the next AMA session. Uh, send an email to hello at the rate sas sessions dot com or reach out to me on LinkedIn or uh, or Twitter. All right, on this episode we have William Kabane with us, so let's get started. So hey hey G, welcome welcome to the sas sessions podcast. Uh, today hey. we are talking about multi channel marketing strategy, and so G, can you start with like a quick introduction about you? Yeah, I'm G. Uh, you <laughs> want to know more? Uh, yeah, we want to <laughs> I've done uh, I've done uh, marketing uh, uh, in some uh, shape or form and demand gen on B two B SaaS companies for the past um, damn seventeen years now. Uh, that's been a while uh, across multiple uh, companies, uh, including uh, Segment, um, Drift, and nowadays I I advise um, high growth B two B SaaS uh, startups. That's interesting. And I am a uh, I am uh, uh, I'm very passionate about growth marketing uh, and engineering, um, solving demand gen problems of engineering. That's that's really great, and you know, G, welcome to the show. So uh, we are going to talk about multi-channel marketing strategy, G, and we all know, like you know, in this this pandemic, one thing that us all marketers learned is about you know they are opening up as many channels as they can. For for you know acquiring leads and doing branding, there multiple for multiple reasons, right? So market, I believe that market for marketers in B two B SaaS companies, the number one thing that worries about the CMOs and the VPs of marketing is the acquisition marketer, right? Uh, this type of person generally specializes only in like you know on one channel of acquisition before they could step on to multi-channel acquisition. So all CMOs and VPs would want a marketer who can look all to you know who can look over or take care of multiple different channels, right? And setting up this acquisition strategy for different channels and ultimately like you know managing a team. So what tips do you have for someone you know who's planning to go from a single channel marketer to a multi-channel marketer? I want to push back on the assumption mm-hmm. that all CMOs want uh, their teammates to be uh, good at multiple channels. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people want to, for sure, because they want yeah. to grow and they want to broaden the horizon. But you know, I do think that there is a there's a there's a there's a place and there are interesting roles for people who are very specialized and extremely good at one thing. And there are some channels where people focus just on that. For example, um, email marketing is generally pretty specific, especially as the company grows, right? And there's kind of an inverse correlation of uh, how many channels you can cover and how big is your company. Right. For example, if you work at Google, you're probably not in charge of email and uh, you know, paid or marketing, whatever, right? Even if you work at Adobe, right? Yeah. So you're gonna be in a team that is in charge of all of that. So it's inversely correlated to to the company size. Uh, The other thing is that as time uh, goes by, Mm -hmm. um, some channels are becoming increasingly complex to Mm -hmm. manage. 
uh, and it requires a lot more knowledge. For example, before I was very good, a long time ago, I was very good at paid. I was pretty good at SEO and very good at email. And, and these days, like, you know, some of those channels have become really, really complicated and it's hard to, uh, to be extremely good at multiple channels. Okay, so that's the first thing I want to push back. Now, I, I get it. Individuals want to be on multiple channels because they want to be the next CMO and they, 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 they think like, oh, like I, to be a good CMO, I need to know all the channels. Yeah. That's a different perspective. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> so the recommendation there, however, is if you want to be good at multiple channels, you got to mm -hmm. go, as I said, in a small enough company. Got it. As soon as the company is too big, it's impossible to manage multiple channels. Okay. Right. So you got to go in a small enough company where you will really be the operator on those channels. And the second is that you need to be good at it. Right. Because it's easy to say that you are, you have the ownership for multiple channels, but are you doing a good job there? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, often like I, I get that, that question like often on like how, like, uh, like, people who are wondering like, well, what I do and I see like Sarah Pion here is in another channel and he asked the question before and like how do you become a good generalist and it's really hard like becoming or staying a good generalist is really really hard it means you need to be touching it's just like it's just like some sports you need to practice every channel on a regular basis you just like right. if you stop you'll you'll just lose touch completely so um being a good generalist is harder than uh than being a good specialist totally and you know so that leads me to my next question which was about this right so let's say if there's a generalist so how can he start or how can they start identifying all the different levers of a single channel right brand life cycle funnel metrics of a single channel and then slowly to expand to multiple channels how can mm -hmm. how can mm -hmm. someone do do this so let's assume that they are starting from one channel where they're good. Mm -hmm. We hope that they're good at something and uh -huh. that, that's where they're starting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have an approach where like, like I, I, I imagine that people are, uh, people in marketing are generally creative. Uh, and if, you know, if they're not creative enough, they can do some research and they can find what's, if we take a step back, I was you like, what's all the benefits of somebody being multiple channel for the company? So we talked about the benefits for the person, which right. is mainly career benefits. For mm -hmm. the company, how do you pitch that to the company? How do you sell to the company, hey, I want to expand to other channels and that will provide the benefit. I'm going to tell you what the benefit is. Most often, the user experience is broken from one channel to another, from one step of the funnel to another. Most, right. like, there's a, there's a, there are exceptions, but channels are very... Uh, they are segregated at, at some steps of the, of, of the funnel, totally. right? So let's say paid marketing is generally top of funnel if you exclude like retargeting, okay? SEO also. Email is generally middle to bottom of funnel, right? Yeah. And if you look at what like Sarah does at, at, at Alice, it's, it's like gifts and stuff like that. It's also like bottom of, of funnel, mm -hmm. okay? Because you need to capture the, the address and, and the engagement and whatnot. Uh, if those channels are split across multiple people, multiple teams, there is less coherence, less cohesion in the message from one channel to the other. And so the experience breaks because we live in a world, especially in B2B SaaS, 
where there is more multi-touch. The people will experience more of your messaging uh, and they will take, there's a longer decision cycle. Yeah. And so they're just going to express. And if, if those marketers on your end don't talk to each other well enough, which is often the case, then the messaging is going to be different. The offers right. might be different. Okay. And the experience is going to be crap. Sometimes it's personalized, sometimes it's not. And so, yeah. of course, if one person does all of that, they can start threading, you know, an experience that is unique, that is personalized. They can start saying, well, I'm going to do, for example, uh, a paid campaign on a small subset on a small target, well-defined of industry, geography, worlds, whatnot. And I'm going to combine that with landing pages and, and SEO and content. And I'm going to combine that with some emails. If the people land on those landing pages and they sign up, then the emails will be personalized. And so right. now it starts making sense from, from end to end. That, that yeah. is the benefit on the conversion rate. That's right. when you start having a lift. Okay? Right. And to do that, you need to be good at stacking, uh, connecting pipes together mm -hmm. okay uh which is where i believe i that's one of my, my my skills is the ability to like take uh small tools existing tools and just like connect tools together so the data just like flows and you can create that experience um, and the how that's what's funny is that you can start thinking i had this win on that channel can i replicate some sort of that in another channel right can I use maybe the same audience, the same messaging, or can I use the same uh, uh, psychological hack or behavior on another channel? Okay, so that often is, is how I do it. But there's a lot of subtleties in each channel that you need to learn, you need to read, you need to learn from the channel. Got it. Got it. And then uh, when you have all these channels, right? So you would obviously think about having so, having some channels to get those quick wins and having some channels to you know get those long term bets. So how do you, you know, identify the channels that can give you, you know, a quick, like quick wins versus how do you put, uh, you know, put bets on channels that are for long term. So for example, SEO yeah. would be something, you know, is, is definitely long, long term and versus yeah. like an ad uh, would be something which is short term. So I, how do you identify these uh, channels? What are the properties? I don't have a channel approach. Mm -hmm. I have an experiment approach. Each of Got my it. projects are listed in an Airtable database. Mm -hmm. And I have an experimentation framework mm -hmm. where I list the time it takes, mm -hmm. the potential lift in revenue in dollars, mm -hmm. of course, the channel, the vertical, and all of those things. And I will have the team pick from the, the, the few experiments uh -huh. that when you sort by revenue, by day of work, they bubble at top. Okay. So I divide. The potential revenue, so potential revenue is like, what is the lift multiplied by the chances of success? And then you divide that by the time to ship their experiments. Because what you want is the team to focus not on the biggest win, not on the quickest win, right. but on the whatever has the highest chance of maximizing their efficiency. So just like a, a worker in a factory, you want the line to move faster. My yeah. line is experiments. I want my revenue per day of work to go up. Totally. That's what I measure. Totally. And, and you know, when you're measuring this, is, have you ever, like, measured or is, is according to you, is virality the deus ex machina uh, marketers can expect for their strategies? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I implement that, that framework uh, everywhere. 
um, the Atwell, I implemented it at Drift, at Segments, and uh, other, all the places. And it really helps the velocity. There's, there's one thing that's, I think, important to understand is if you're doing growth, if we're talking of growth and, and marketing, right? There's really two types of teams, right? And you can say it's growth versus traditional. Like my, my mental split is, are you taking an experimental approach? Are you accepting that there's a high chance of, of failure? Mm -hmm. Okay. Or are you working on a project which has to succeed? Let's right. take two examples. A product launch is not an experiment. If yeah. you're on the marketing side and you got to do the product launch, you got to make it work. You're yeah. not going to say, oh, it didn't work. Let's pull the product off. And that's <laughs> not going to happen. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's not an experiment. Okay. Um, so there's nothing to test. Okay. You got to do it the best way. Now, on the flip side, there's all the experiments, which things you can accept failure. And there, you got to take a high risk. Otherwise, you're not going to find the outliers. A growth team, a marketing growth team, is like a VC. Mm -hmm. We are looking for outliers. If you'd find stuff that does plus 10, plus 20%, especially at the early stage, it's usually not statistically significant. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you're mm -hmm. making a lot of investments. Like, like a VC, you're investing your time, okay, your investment, mm -hmm. to get returns. And the only way those returns are profitable is if you have outliers that generate 2x, 3x lifts. Okay? Because those are clear lifts. And those pay back all the failures. And so you're going to fail 70% of the time, 80% of the time. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so that framework is here to help you with the one metric that matters is how many uh, experiments you can ship and what's your aggregate, let's say, uh, forecasted revenue that you have shipped in a given sprint. That, that's really interesting to look at. And when you're attributing all these, uh, all these channels to revenue, right? So, and this is one of the questions that many of the people or many of the attendees today that have put that, uh, like, you know, it, and it is, I, I believe, like, it is one of the most common challenge which people would be facing uh, with multiple channels, and that is attribution, right? So how do you, like, you know, solve, solve this attribution challenge, right? Uh, many people would you would use last attribution or last touch attribution or first touch attribution or you know multi-touch attribution where where you are uh, like you know aggregating or distributing revenue percentage weightage to different channels. So, like what have worked for you like you know for different uh, types of companies or different segments or different areas that you have worked with? Yeah, um, attribution is attribution tools are not a way to decide uh, what has uh, impacted the conversion. You're mm -hmm. the one deciding that. You're creating yeah. a model, attribution model, where you're putting the weight on first uh -huh. touch, on last touch, on middle touch. You can U-shape it, W-shape it. You're the human deciding that. And then the model is going to say, okay, uh, this should be the revenue. <laughs> yeah. There's just no way of saying, there's just no way you can say, oh, sure, like, I'm going to do a W-touch because, like, Data shows that it is what's impacting people the most. Because, like, how if Sunil converts, how do you know in the truth that the ad in the middle touch is what Sunil really to convert? Like, you don't know totally. at the individual yeah. level. You just don't know. So it's a good way to know. There's a, it's super useful to know what the customer experience is across all the touches. So you can understand what is the life cycle, what are the messages they have seen. It's 
great in sales driven teams so that you can um, share with your sales team what ads, what messages, uh, what copywriting this customer has seen. Okay? It is great at, and it's fantastic also to understand what channel is mostly used on first on on at, at the what, what drives the, the first touch, what drives the last touch. It's great, but you can't really say you can't create causality if you want. All right, there's correlation, there's no causality. Got it. So Got I would it. be very very curious. I mean, you can do it when you're a large company and you have like you can control for a lot of variances, like if you're Snapchat and stuff like that. Especially if your time to convert is short. But the smaller your volume is, and the more touches there are, less likely you are to be, to be able to do like a good uh, inference analysis. Like it's, it's just probably not gonna happen. So useful, but you won't be able to justify uh, a channel just based on that. Totally, and is it, is it the same for, for, the, for any SaaS company as well, or there is some caveat here? Yeah, for most SaaS companies, I was talking to a, uh, I was talking an hour ago for a company that has 1,500 employees and they are doing uh, first touch and we uh -huh. talked to them and said, yeah, no, it's, you're, you're not there yet. It's not, it, it's not worth it for the moment. So okay. as I suppose most people listening to the podcast are smaller than 1,500. Uh, again, it depends what. It is useful and I recommend them a tool to help the sales team understand the motions and understand the messages and, and, and the flow and the user flow. Um, just not not to decide which channel drives the most conversions totally and and now you know discuss like talking about something that you know concerns the top management a lot which is roi right um, so how do you justify uh, like how can someone justify the roi of a multi-channel marketing strategy right so how like picking and choosing like you know as, as you said like attribution is not the way to go about it it will help, help you identify maybe what channels are working what channels not so how did how do you translate that into you know justifying the ROI? Like if some channels is not performing, yeah. and you're getting a lot of touches on that, uh, but then it is just human to say that you know that channels is really doing great and we are converting a lot. But yeah, the day it is, sure. It is, we 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 self we we self justify a lot of things by looking at the data. Like yeah. either first, of course, like when I push, like I'll I'll cherry pick the data, and I uh, say, oh, yeah, sure, like, like, like this is working. Look at the data. Like, it doesn't mean anything, but we'll all look at the numbers and we'll say, okay, yeah. but it doesn't mean anything. We'll just accept it. So I think there's the big difference, like, what do we use because we need some kind of justification for what we already believe, right? Uh, versus, you know, independently, like, is it scientifically sound? Um, going back to your question on multi-touch, it's very simple. It's like, I don't need like a lot of research to tell you that if you touch a customer more often, you mm -hmm. stay top of mind and there are, there's a higher chance that they uh, convert. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's like, there's a, a, a curve that goes like that and then it falls off a cliff if you really annoy them too much. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is easy to, um, to analyze. Okay. Mm -hmm. So increasing the number of touches is good, especially as your sales cycle lengthens. The longer your sales cycle, the more you got to stay top of mind. Um, yeah. And, and then like, you know, how do you, how do you pick and choose like what channels are not, not performing in, in that case? Like, you know, if we are having multi-touch and we are not really like we are attributing, but we 
like how do you identify yep. in this case like you know if these are the channels that needs optimization right or something like that yep so i do small experiments uh on control on small controlled like audiences or geographies uh, to see whether this channel in isolation works well um so you can do that what's hard is when you want to look at this thing in combination with with other channels so for example imagine you already have ads you already have seo you already have emails and you're wondering like hey should i send uh, handwritten letters okay well so mm -hmm. should i send gifts for example now you could and most people do that they're going to send like they're going to pick an audience of like 500 and they're going to cut it in two and they're going to send gift to 250 right and they're going to see if it has a lift yeah and most likely they're going to see a lift and so then they're going to generalize it to about audience and that's also what i do and that works well okay now can you say hey we are driving you know uh, an extra 50k this month because we're sending um because we're sending gifts that is debatable mathematically yeah. Right, mm -hmm. because though you could say that on your sample you had a lift, and you can say you have an average lift, you mm -hmm. don't know whether that's true on the total audience, and you definitely don't. You can definitely can't tell for a given person that this person converted because this person is only in one audience. Yeah. Either they got the gift or they didn't. Yeah. Right. So, for example, Sunil did not get the gift, oh. and did not convert. Mm -hmm. What does it mean? Would Sunil had convert have converted if he had gotten the gift? You can't yeah. say. No one knows. You yeah. can't say, right? Yeah, that's that's really interesting too. Or and interesting the problem, it, the problem is that when you have your sales team, then the sales mm -hmm. team is gonna is is gonna say, well, yeah, this is this is you no, know, um, they didn't convert because of that, and it's true. You can't add, do attribution. You can't explain at the deal level. You can only right. do aggregate. So you can say an aggregate, and that's what I do. So I generally, my experiments work on aggregate. I say, well, on aggregate, for example, this new website, Drive Plus, you know, I, I just shipped a website recently for Gorgias with my team, uh, and with 2x conversion. Mm -hmm. 2x conversion, which is great, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's fantastic. Again, in aggregate, on a large number, we can see that. Individual number, uh, the individual account, we can't say that they signed up because of that. Mm -hmm. Totally. And you know, so that that's been an interesting uh, discussion, right? And and I I think I've been asking too many questions, and we have a lot of questions that you know from from the attendees. Uh, Let's go. So I'm gonna just switch on to that. Um, let me just so they have put uh, you Raj had a question, and uh, he's he was asking like you know what's the multi-channel strategy for products who which are yet to find product market fit, right? Versus products who are product market fit. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, for me, the strategy for pre-product market fit, you're, you're trying to find one channel that can scale towards product market fit. What that means, you're looking at something that which has enough depth, okay? So not friends and family, not uh, some small uh, Facebook groups, like enough depth, you can get to product market fit at a cost that you're comfortable with mm -hmm. okay and so that's why when you think on like on when i do due diligence for vcs and and, and related uh, analysis mm -hmm. and i look i see a cac when you when, if you're honest as an entrepreneur the cac always goes up as you scale because yeah. you exhaust 
the channels that were the most e the easiest and the most yeah. profitable first. Mm -hmm. And so when you pre-product market fit, that's what you're doing. You're fishing for the best first channel, which means you've got to test, you've got to iterate through all the channels very fast. Um, yeah. And say, okay, is it going to be paid? Is it going to be SEO? Is it going to be like outbound emails? Is it going to be like, is it going to be events? Okay, not events, not right now. Like, what, what, what is it going to be, right? Yeah. And in each channel, you got to do some uh, enough tests that you can get it with confidence. Okay, it's not that. This is not going to work. Okay, it doesn't mean the channel is not good at all. It just means that pre-product market fit. There's no audience. And so, when, if you want to take a step further there, if you're pre-product market fit, it means you're looking for early adopters. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where can you find early adopters? Okay, generally not on paid. Uh, well, not not on paid search. Maybe on on paid social, but not on paid search because early adopters are not looking for random things, and you are not something that they know about. So yeah. you're gonna have to put the word out. So it is a channel which is kind of like awareness. You're gonna have to put the word in front of potential early adopters. So you gotta find where are my early adopters. You know, um, examples of that are like, uh, you know, Kickstarter and Indiegogo is a good way, is a, is a channel for early adopters. That's one. Uh, yeah. And there's other channels like that. Totally. And, you know, so I have one question which, you know, made me think about this, like when you're talking about this, uh, uh, this thing, uh, like, you know, multi-channel strategy for products which are pre-product market fit. So uh, how do you get to, like, you know, so companies always focus on getting product market fit, but should companies or early co companies should also focus on getting product channel fit? Uh, is, there, is, is, it, is that also something companies do focus on early stage or is it, is it like, you know, is it all, all three like product market channel fit, right? So the, I, I love uh, ReForbes uh, uh, chart and if you haven't seen it, go see like the, uh, the, the product channel fit and, and all yeah. of the uh, angles on, on that chart. Um, if you're pre-product market fit, you generally have only one product. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so the the the, the product uh, uh, market fit and the product channel fit is kind of the same thing. You, you you kind of like looking at like where can you find your early adopters, and can you can you get to them at a price that's reasonable? Um, that's just what it is. Uh, that chart starts making sense when you have like multiple products and multiple channels, which you don't have yet. Totally, yeah. And so we have a question by Suvasini and she's asking, uh, what is the process of exploring new channels for SaaS acquisition? And she and I understand that this is a lot of experimentation, but do you have a framework to go about the process? And I think this was something that you talked about. You having an yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can I can show quickly for those. I mean, there's unfortunately many people have seen in in, in the past, uh, mm -hmm. but I've I've shown uh, this uh, uh, framework a couple of times already. This, this L table. I'm just gonna look in my um, yeah. in my deck here if I can find it. There you go. So I have this thing here. Uh, looks like this. Where you, I have like all of the ideas I'm scoring, all of the projects, and then I have the team. I have the person who submitted it. Uh, I have the owner, uh, the description, the hypothesis, um, and here you see here I have the revenue per day of work. Um, right. And if we go, if we go to the right, uh, um, then I have like the confidence. Uh, whether it's recurring project or not, uh, what's the average revenue, uh, what's in time to build in days, which metric are we impacting here, right? And what's the opportunity? How many of those are we are we creating? And what's the increase of our baseline, right? And then you see all the metrics themselves have some values, right? So I know the value for sign up, the value of a qualified sign, the value for demo, 
um, if you go back here, then you see that we're pulling that numbers, the data here, to calculate uh, the increase of a baseline uh, and to calculate the uh, weighted revenue, which takes into account the confidence. And then we divide this by the number of days and we get through the revenue per day of work. Um, totally. That's, so that's really interesting. Then yeah. I think that the benefit here is then I can go to my boss and, you know, at the end of the month, and the boss is going to ask things like, hey, G, like, what you're working on next, next sprint or next month? And I says, like, this is the list. So, oh, what's going to impact going to be? Well, if I sum the column, the weighted, so multiplied by risk factor, uh, is going to be, like, I don't know, like 200K, right? Um, and, and the boss can say, oh, okay, that's, that's super cool. And, like, um, you know, who's doing what? I know who's doing what. Uh, and also, he asked, well, what if I gave you another engineer? And I said, well, now I have a backlog. I have a, a backlog of maybe like 20 days of work and I can unblock that if you give me another engineers. And what's the impact? Oh, I know exactly the impact, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I start having um, the ability to forecast mm -hmm. the impact of marketing teams, which is very rare. Right? I can forecast and I'm handling that like a sales team, which is important because CEOs understand really well how sales team work. They have a pipeline of deals, some of which they will close, some of which they won't, and they need time to close the deals. Yeah. I'm a marketer, I do the same. I have a pipeline of projects, some of which will succeed, some of which won't, and I need yeah. time and resources to close those experiments. Totally, yeah. <laughs> and because I report on dollars, on actual revenue, forecasted in actual revenue, like a pipeline, yeah. this makes it really easy to understand. Today, yeah. this is an interesting approach, right? Like I could think of experiments as different deals and not all these will, will win. I lose some deals, I'll win some deals and at, at the end of the day, it's gonna impact the revenue. That's a really interesting takeaway. And so, yeah, we have one question, which is uh, like, you know, so how do you handle multi-channel budgeting? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's a great question because, um, you know, that goes back to our attribution tools. So. I recommend for most people to have a simple attribution logic, okay? I especially at the earlier stage. If I look at what I do for most of my early stage portfolio, I tell them, you know, if your sales cycle is less than two weeks, go for a first touch, okay? And take uh, the first touch within a time frame, which is yeah. the length of the time to close. And so you can take like 1.5x the uh, mean median time to close, and that should be enough. And then if the opportunity has not closed then, you can just like close last the opportunity. And if they come back, you start a new one with the new, with the new source. Okay. That's, what, that's what I do at most companies. It works well. It's easy to identify who or which channel has sourced this opportunity in the past two weeks. Okay. And based on that, you can start doing, uh, I'd say, some, some simple attribution. And you can start saying, well, I now will give a percentage, so a, a, basically a CAC LTV target. Okay? Yeah. Each of my channels has a, have a CAC LTV target. If we go back to like my specialty, what I do, what I love in SaaS, my way to differentiate is to create acquisition strategies that are, um, have a $0 marginal cost. Mm -hmm. That's important. Most traditional marketing teams have a marketing motions and channels mm -hmm. where the CAC increases as the volume increases, mm -hmm. which means it does not scale well. 
okay? There's a negative incentive to scale it. The more you scale it, the more you capture LTV is gonna get bad, okay? And so that's a problem, okay? So I'm looking right. for things where actually my capture LTV improves mm -hmm. as I scale. Examples of that are all the projects that I do that are engineering driven. I have yeah. a high upfront cost. I'm paying for the cost of the engineers to build, I don't know, an yeah. app <laughs> or something to like drive acquisition. Once it's built, it runs for free. Yeah. Okay. Content is a good example of something that has a zero dollar marginal cost. Okay. You build the content, but then eventually like people come and like you're no longer paying for that. Okay. Yeah. Paid is the opposite. So I try to have that so that I have positive scaling effects. Totally. So maybe have a balance between uh, like, you know, uh, channels which will invest now and which will give like, you know, ROI later and versus channels which I have to have nothing to invest in now, but will still give me the ROI later. But the time frame is going to be a little longer than uh, the first yeah. uh, channel, first kind of channel. Yeah. So I have a good balance and that's how you can do budgeting. Yeah. So we have a great question from someone who's attending uh, Leo. And so he's asking like he, he Leo was very keen to see uh, your air table and he's asking like, you know, in the air table, you had a column for confidence level. So how are you determining that percentage of confidence? Yeah. It's interesting because many people focus on that. It is yeah. not the biggest uh, or the, the highest risk. Um, generally, it's between 30 and 60%. I will talk to people who have done it. I will look at all past success rate. My Airtable has all of the past experiments, whether they failed or succeeded, and I will look at that to infer the success rate. But generally, between 30 and 60, which is only a 2x factor, uh -huh. the biggest risk in the Airtable is the time to ship. Yeah. Because that requires engineers and whatnot, and people are overly optimistic. And there, they're going to say, oh, I can ship this in two days. In reality, they're going to take like eight days. That's a, like a 4x decrease in performance. Yeah. Okay? That's my problem, which is why I try to always incentivize financially, pay bonuses to my team based on their ability to ship revenue per day of work. Because revenue per day of work is impacted by the time it takes to ship. Totally. So that incentivizes you to go fast and do an MVP. Totally. So yeah, that's, that's the answer for you, Leo. And I hope it helps you. And we have uh, one more uh, question, which by Daniel. So he's asking besides inconsistent, inconsistent messaging and broken pi or broken pipes, what are some of the common that you have seen in multi-channel top of the funnel experiments that failed and the ones that succeeded? Mm. Um, Generally, um, what happens is that we can't prove a lift. Like I'd say eight times out of 10, the issue is that we can't prove a lift with statistical confidence because the volume was too small. Mm -hmm. And that is something we should have seen from the get-go. Very often, I catch my team pushing the experiment in the L table. Mm -hmm. And a good example is they're going to say, oh, you know, we're going to send, and I'm going to go back to uh, uh, Sarah with, with Alice and take the gift example. It's a great example for that. They can say, oh, we're going to send a small gift to, I don't know, mm -hmm. 500 people, 200 people. Okay. And they're going to do that on such a small sample because it has a cost. And say, oh, you know, we want to send like a $30 gift and our budget is like maybe like $10,000. So like we can send like 300 people. 
a $30 gift, right? Yeah. $9,000, okay? And I'm like, guys, like, can you calculate ahead of time what is a lift required to see significance? And they haven't. And I look into it and say, guys, like, you know, this is like, you need a huge lift for this to be statistically significant, right? Yeah. And the problem is that people are bad at that. People will see a directional like plus 30% and say, oh, this is good enough. I'm like, no, it's random. On such a small sample, it's random, okay? Um, so especially if your conversion rate is, uh, is, is, you know, already very low. So if you're trying to lift, for example, like imagine you have an outbound campaign, which converts at 1% rate, and you're going to add for 300 people, you're going to add gifts, right? And you try to move it to 1.3. You won't see significance before you reach thousands and thousands. And you're not going to do thousands because that's too expensive. So yeah. you probably should not have shipped that experiment. So the number one problem is that. The number one problem is that you're not forecasting ahead of time what is the required lift to get significance. And you should exclude that experiment if you can't commit to the volume. Totally. I hope uh, this answers your question, Daniel. And we have one, one question which is like, you know, I, I liked it as well. So uh, how do you uh, go on about picking the right touch points for your lead conversion? Again, uh, something which, which talks about attribution, but uh, then do you know, like, can you predict that, you know, uh, in some way by date, by looking at your past data, that if this, this particular prospect goes through this particular uh, touch point, you are highly confident that he'll convert. Again, uh, it's, it's talking about percentage and confidence. Yeah. Yeah, we had, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I have I have data scientists, uh, internal and external, uh, mm -hmm. with whom I'm running some regressions, and and we do see like some outlier effects. And so sometimes there are some touches that are like highly correlated uh, with um, with converting. Again, keep in mind this is not causality; it's only correlation. And some yeah. of those actually are uh, uh, um, just a a showing an effect. That is a consequence and not a cause. Okay, um, so you got to be careful about that. And if if um, if you want to have fun, you're wondering like, oh, how often does that really happen? Uh, for those that don't know, I would recommend going to the website's uh, spurious correlations. Mm -hmm. uh, so you go to uh, to this. I'm going to show it right now. Give me a second. Well, that's a good uh, example. Mm -hmm. Can you enable screen share for yeah, me again? I, I did. Uh, I did. There you go, my friend. <laughs> So for example, here, this is a website that references all of the random correlations. For example, like suicides by hanging and US spending on science, right? <laughs> or people who draw on fire in a poor pool and films of Nicol Nicolas Cage, right? And it's, it's, an, it's, it's an algorithm that's taking public data and finding correlations, right? Like yeah. cheese consumption and people who died by uh, being tangled in the sheets. And so this is tragic and funny in the same way like i love this one uh divorce rate in maine and uh capita consumption of margarine which is a type of butter uh, but this should remind you if you are in a business and you see a chart like that of relations yeah. and you see a 99.26 correlation you can say this is good this is really good don't forget yeah. you could be correlating margarine with divorce rates yeah. okay that does not mean causality Okay, there's at any business where you have a ton of data, especially these days, you're going to find correlations. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, you have to. 
Okay. Yeah. You got to dig deeper to understand, like, is this a legit correlation or not? Yeah. That the, at the end of the day, you know, data will help you give the data, like it will get the data. But to make a decision, you have to have data plus your hunch. You have to follow your hunch as well. You yeah. can't uh, let your hunch go away and just trust data 100%. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we have covered most of the questions. There's one question by Sophie was asking, is there a tool maybe you have, you can you use to create that framework for prioritizing your growth ideas? I think uh, G used Airtable and you can use Airtable as well. That's a pretty So there's a, forward. for those who asked, uh, my friend Darius made a public version of that Airtable. It doesn't have the revenue, so you, you will have to customize part of it. Uh, but you can go to uh, bit.li slash, I think it's um, Evelyn. Let me find it for you, uh, bit.li Evelyn. Uh, table it's uh he called it there you go uh, experiment velocity engine uh and if you type in google like evelyn Airtable, uh you'll a bit of like slash there you go i found it i'll post it here yeah for sure to everybody to everyone so you can go to this version it's not exactly the same but it's close enough yeah that's that's really interesting and yeah thanks a lot for sharing it uh, yeah, I think we have co covered most of the questions. Is there anyone who wanna like you know show up, start on a video, say hi to G, and ask a question in the chat, in the attendees? Let's wait. Put, put, put your videos on. Let's let's make uh, let's make it a, a big zoom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think if people are. Well, yeah, yeah, people always say, of course. Oh yeah. I, <laughs> uh, um, I I have one more. Up. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no. So yeah, uh, I have like maybe la one last question from me. Then uh, people who asked like when they fill the form, uh, any any recommendations for budget and attribution, uh, best practices for multi-channel campaigns, yeah. and what metrics do you yeah. justify? Yeah. Do you use to justify the spend on multi-channel campaigns? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So two things. You should leverage a tool. So for those who don't, like you should use GA as a start. Um, there's great attribution models in GA, but it does not connect to your uh, B2B SaaS stack. I recommend two small tools. I suppose most people are here are like small companies with limited budgets. So two small tools you can look at and you can tell them that you're coming from me to get good treatment. Uh, the first one is Attribution App. Attribution App. Pretty mm -hmm. cool. Uh, connects with segments with HubSpot or Salesforce. Um, and it, it enables you to paint the picture of the flow. That's pretty cool. And the other one um, is Dream Data, uh, Dream Data uh, that I'm using at, at uh, Gorgias. And uh, it's, it has a really good attribution model uh, for um, accounts uh, um, with multiple users. So it can uh, create an attribution model at the user level or at the account level or both. And then you can see multi-touch of all the people in the account, which is really cool. So you can you can spread you can see the, the picture of like all the people who came first, who came second, and which which of their individual paths. Yeah. Sure. Um, that's that's really interesting. And uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah. Last question uh, is by Varun. He's asking uh, in multi-channel strategy, like you know, distributing uh, distribution and repurposing of content is really important as well, since you have multiple channels, there are multiple types of content. So what content strategy you know uh, you would uh, say is good for B2B SaaS companies? Yeah, 
I think the, the one thing that works the best is leveraging the fact that there are multiple channels to test a lot of content at the same time, okay? And see which one is getting traction, okay? Uh, and then repurposing that one across all the other channels. You gotta think like, you don't know what's gonna work. You're a scientist doing experiments and you've got to go faster. The only way you can do that is by spreading out, right? Uh, and like launching all of those like little tor torpedoes to test like what, 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 what's going to work or, or maybe a more positive word is a, a fishing line if you're not a fish. Um, <laughs> and, and, and then once you find something, uh, then you can double down on other channels. Okay. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do that if you actually observe they're going to test something on Twitter and then they're going to take the Twitter success with the highest levels and post it on LinkedIn. And they're going to do the opposite, take the LinkedIn stuff and post it on, on Twitter. Right? Yeah. Uh, so you just got to like monitor what's picking up speed uh, really, really quickly and then cross post really fast. But the speed is critical here. Totally. And we have like we have two more questions. So those are coming in. So <laughs> we have uh, Leo asking. Um, like, you know, have you seen any, uh, what pitfalls have you seen in experiments using paid marketing channels in lower funnel, like bottom of the funnel activities? So <laughs> <Go on for, laughs> the problem, yeah, they can ask questions the, live. the problem about that, um, is it's easy to cheat. If you start doing like, so, if you start doing multi-touch uh, attribution, and if you start doing especially at last touch attribution, and I'm the guy in charge of paid, I have a high incentive at just blasting all of your accounts with an ad so that I get credit. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's the issue. I have a negative incentive. Well, negative when it comes to the user uh, uh, experience. So the pitfall is that paid is annoying, especially if the people are already engaged. Okay. Mm -hmm. For example, like I give you an example. I, uh, I paid for QuickBooks, which is an accounting software okay, uh -huh. from Intuit, and I use it, right? And then I get served ads uh, with like 30% discount. I'm pissed. <laughs> of course I'm pissed, right? And the right thing is they should have excluded me. And now they have issues like excluding my not, but like, and if you're already in a sales discussion, like you got to control the messaging and make sure your exclusions are really good. You don't want to be pushing that top of funnel content to mid or bottom of funnel uh, deals. Yeah. Makes sense? Totally. Yeah, we have uh, one great question by Elizabeth. So, hey, Elizabeth, yeah, feel free to turn on your video and ask your question. Yeah, there she goes. Elizabeth's here. <laughs> we, have, we have a brave soul. Uh, you, you probably want to unmute her. There you go. Hey. Yeah. Hello. Um, yeah, so I wanted to ask, uh, you were talking about attribution models earlier. Um, you mentioned if your sales cycle is less than two weeks, like first touch is a good model. And so I was just curious um, if you had recommendations, you know, B2B companies sometimes have much longer sales cycles of, of months or years. And so if you um, have a different method that you would recommend for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, the first thing is if you stretch into years, uh, then there are a lot of other issues because generally what's going to happen is that you're going to cycle through uh, champions or potential buyers, right? So your, your, your executive buyer is going to change. The, the mean tenure of your champion in a given role is going to be like 12 to 18 months. After that, either they get out of the company or they change into a different role and they're no longer the right champion. And that causes a lot of issues because then like 
how do you take that into account? Right? Is it the same deal? Is it a different deal? If we exclude the outlier of multiple years, which is like really high in enterprise, um, and for what it's worth at the high in enterprise, generally, you don't care because the revenue is so high uh, that the cost of the ads is irrelevant anyways. Okay. Um, so if you go like mid-tier, like a couple of a couple of months, and my experiences at Drift and Segment are all rele relevant there. Um, when you start having that, you're gonna you're gonna do at say you can have multiple approaches. Um, I'm gonna do attribution for stuff that costs me money that I want to measure the return on investment, and I'm gonna be a bit more stringent there. You say, oh, okay, like I'm looking at like my paid channel, and like I'm looking at that. I'm gonna be a bit more stringent on like. Uh, what's your ability to source? And so I'm going to look both first touch and all influence. That's what I did. We had, I had two metrics. One was like, how much revenue am I able to source with, I'm, I'm, I'm the first source of that revenue. And then what's the total revenue influenced? And my goal was to influence over 70% of the total revenue of the company and to source at least 20% of, uh, of the revenue. Okay. It's a simplified model. It's just like, how much am I touching? How much am I sourcing? Okay, when I try doing other more complicated models of saying, oh, like, but I'm the one who touched this like the most and like this thing, that it's like, I never could get the, uh, the buy-in uh, from the rest of the company to justify that. I was, it, it felt like I was just trying to do some land grabbing, like just justify that I owned more revenue, which it was a bit, so. Awesome. And yeah, we have like last nine minutes with G. If you guys have any more questions, you can ask, <laughs> go ahead. Hello? Uh, cool. Good to see you again. Um, yeah, so I, I want to go back to, you know, uh, like generating like demand through top of funnel uh, when you're using uh, multi channels. Uh, I was wondering, like, if you have like, like uh, past experiences that can point to like the success of those things, especially in the context of us being in a, uh, you know, like a more depressed economic outlook, mm -hmm. right? A lot of uh, things aren't necessarily, of course, like you don't need to be a scientist to know that if you show ads more often, uh, people are more likely to mm -hmm. think of you, but is there like, is there a additional step that you can take um, yep. beyond showing an impression that that's really going to help people to say, Oh, like I need this right now. Yeah. So, um, or like, you know, to engage in conversation. For sure. Yeah. I think now more than ever, I think this is a great question to, to end uh, uh, the webinar on, uh, now more than ever, uh, we need to, um, look more carefully at what's the, who's the audience that we're, uh, that we're engaging with. And my belief is that when we do uh, multi-touch channels and we do multi-distribution, we have a lot of time the wrong assumption. We're, taking, we're, we're starting, we're coming from the wrong angle, which is, oh, I have a total population that is huge. I'm just gonna blast everyone. I'm gonna see which channels work well, and then I'm gonna double down on that. The truth is there is a population, and within that population, there's a small subset who is willing to buy right now if they have you know the right message and there's a population who like you might think they're the right buyers but they're not willing to buy and no amount of ads is going to make them buy okay uh, and you got to figure out who's who so that you can focus your investments and increase investments on the small subset who is willing 
Okay. Uh, and that's what I've been doing the past couple of years, which is, is like looking at data before people engage with my content and buying data from third parties and like buying like G2 intent data, buying Bombora data, looking at who's, if you look at B2B, like who's hiring, which companies are doing well. Okay. Uh, and understand like, okay, let's refine. And if you think of like about it, what it is, is it's a massive, it's a mass scale ABM strategy. Whereas ABM was to say, oh, I'm going to take a, a set list of accounts that are really good. I'm going to try to convert those. I'm saying I have a big market within that market. At any given time, there's a small subset who's expressing buy intent or the, the ability to buy. And I'll focus just on that. And I will 10x my budget on those so that I can blast my competitors throughout the space. Okay? Because they will have an average spend, which is much lower. Because they will distribute their budget on a broad audience where I was focused my budget on a small audience. But I'm not an ABM guy. I'm not going to say it's a set list of accounts. I'm just saying right now, which are the companies that are expressing by me here? I'm doing like then some correlation analysis to see, to say, is hiring the good signal? Is it because you're hiring somebody? Is it because you have, you change technologies? Is it because you are um, looking at tools on T2 Crowd? Like there's a lot of different signals. And I feed that into all of my channels as a source of like, who should we target? Okay. And that is how I do it. And if you look at the IAB data, for advertising uh, in March and April, you see that advertisers are actually shifting away from national uh, display and broad uh, deals to programmatic, which is exactly that, okay? So they're doing, uh, the, there's a huge budget shift towards that to uh, improve your capital to be. When we're in a depressed economic situation, we just try to go for profitability and improve our capital to be. How do you how do you improve like the like the mood though? Like so, say like you know like maybe maybe in normal circumstances, um, I have the intent and appetite to buy an ice cream. But you know, I've been seeing the, I've been watching the news, and you know, I'm just it's just like not in my mind right now to go out and buy an ice cream. Um, how 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 would you be able to remind or nudge them? Uh, in the right direction. So like, you know, your, your, your emotional or mental context changes that, that you realize that you yep. are actually uh, in the place for, in the mind space for that. For sure. So obviously my strategy works better for B2B than for B2C. Uh, and especially because on B2C, the signals are weak um, and, and you might not be allowed to use them for, PR, for privacy reasons. Um, and the other thing is that, um, what you just said assumes that there are um, uh, is uh, all people in, in segments like are, are depressed. My theory is that there are some people who are, some people who aren't, um, and I try to figure out who's doing really well right now. For example, uh, if you look into my portfolio, one of the companies, uh, Gorgias, is doing extremely well. We didn't know, but e-commerce is booming big time which means everybody related to booming categories is doing very well. Can you extract information? Which industries, which jobs, which cities, if you're in B2C, are doing really well right now? Can you focus your efforts there? Okay, so if you're selling, for example, I know people who are selling like very broad and wide services to any kind of company. I told them like, don't try to sell extra SaaS to people who are firing half of their staff unless you're helping them save more money because 
spending more money is not the top concern right now. Whatever you promise, they have other problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, those that have 2x, 3x the leads, the volume, and that can't cope with that and are creating crappy customer experience, they are dying for something to help them. If you can help them, you don't even need the pitch. Okay. Right. So try to figure out like where's the market trend and position yourself in those trends. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I think this is a great uh, note to end with. Uh, yeah. And thanks Daniel and Elizabeth, you know, coming and asking those great questions and thanks a lot G for, you know, coming and doing this webinar podcast and AMA with us. <laughs> it's a bunch of everything. Cool.